0: So here's 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behaviour before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And Psalm 34. Of David when he changed his behaviour before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned.
1: Father, as we come to your word this morning, please give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Please would your word change us as you intend it to. Amen. Where do you put your confidence in adversity? As you hear that question, you might be thinking, I know where this is going. Uh, Surely this is just going to be a put your trust in God kind of thing, and we can all go home. Uh, and if you have a glance down at the handouts, uh, you will see that that is more or less where we're heading. Uh, but I want to say that while intellectually we might be on board, in practice, when we're under pressure, putting our confidence in God is difficult. Is it really better for me to do what God says when this is happening to me? I mean, it's when we're under pressure that often the question implicitly pops into our heads. Can God be trusted? Uh, Because it doesn't look like things will end well if I do what he says. Uh, We dread being asked the question on the marriage debates or issues surrounding gender. Uh, It just feels much easier not to stand for the truth. And maybe we hear that snide remark about Christians perhaps even suspect it's intended to be overheard by ye. We know the temptation to say something, uh, to subtly bite back. Living God's way, on the other hand, just looks weak. Being the only Christian in the office Zoom Christmas party, feeling like a social outsider, it is so tempting to join in with the inappropriate banter. If living God's way... Makes me an outcast. Think of some of our mission partners. Think of those countries where even just being a Christian earns you a ticket to jail. Can God be trusted? Because often doing what he says seems to cause us problems. I mean, just think of David, who wrote this psalm and his experience. Think of where we left him in 1 Samuel on the run and in exile. Relentlessly pursued by Saul, surrounded by adversity, where would he put his confidence? By the way, just worth saying, we've paused our series in 1 Samuel. Um, Over the next two Sunday mornings at the half-past nine service, we'll be thinking about two Psalms of David, uh, this week Psalm 34 uh, and next week Psalm 63. Um, These Psalms pick up where we left David in 1 Samuel. These are two Psalms David wrote on the run, in exile and in the wilderness. Two Psalms David wrote in the midst of adversity. If you caught last week, remember twice, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He was pursuing him twice. He had what looked like a chance to put an end to his suffering. Firstly, that incident in the cave, And then later, David found Saul asleep and defenceless in his camp. Saul's life was in David's hands. And yet, on both occasions, David decides to do what is right. And he spares Saul's life. It looked like he had such an easy way out. So much so, in fact, that even those around him were egging him on. But faced with a way out of relentless suffering... David remained obedient to God because his confidence was in God, even though disobeying him looks more promising. Uh, Before we dive into the passage, uh, just a quick word on how to read Psalm 34. Um, I think the way in which we should think about Psalm 34 is that this is David, God's king, sitting us down and teaching us how to fear God in adversity. This is David, who last week exemplified fear of God in adversity, taking us under his wing and training us to do the same. But as 1 Samuel's been teaching us, and as Craig reminded us earlier, David is really pointing forward to the Lord Jesus, the king we really need. And so it's Jesus who is the teacher we need. Jesus who walked the road of suffering more deeply than anyone. And Jesus who feared God perfectly where David messed up. And so as we look at Psalm 34 together this morning, we are listening to God's king, who is sitting us down and teaching us to fear God in adversity. And lastly, just to say, Psalm 34 doesn't just help us when we face opposition for being Christians. And for all of us, 2020 has brought with it countless trials. And for those feeling weary and for those going through the mill, Psalm 34 is full of great comfort. And I pray that that would recenter us on our great Gods. So that's enough introduction. Let's dive in. Uh, let's look at the first seven verses. If you're following along on the handout, uh, we're at the first point. Right from the off, David sets the tone of the psalm as one of rejoicing. And notice how far David goes in his praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together Notice that from verse 1 David's praise is at all times it is continual David is going around boasting in God he's speaking his praises non-stop David is red hot in his excitement about God's and he invites us to join him in his praise. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exhort his name together. God's praise is always on David's lips. There isn't a moment where David takes his mind off his great gods. And so naturally we ask the question, what is causing David to be so excited about gods? why does he praise him constantly? And why does he want others to join him in making God's name big? We get the answer to that in verse 4. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And again in verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David is praising God because God has delivered him from his fears. And David doesn't leave us in the dark, guessing what those fears might be. Uh, Psalm 34 is explicitly tied to a historical event in David's life. It's actually one of the events we looked at recently in 1 Samuel. It was the other reading we had earlier. And it's there in the title of the psalm. Uh, Not the heading, Taste and See the Lord as Gids. That one's been added by the translators. um, But the one in all caps underneath. It's worth saying that heading um, is part of the original text of David when he changed his behaviour before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Uh, For context, David fled from Saul to Gath in Philistine country. Uh, When he gets there, he fears Achish, the Philistine king of Gath. He's referred to in Psalm 34 as Abimelech. They are the same person. And we can understand David's fear. David was the king to be in Israel. The Philistines were the enemies. In fact, they knew David as the one who killed their great warrior Goliath. We saw that in that that song in the reading in 1 Samuel. And here David is on their doorstep without any real army. And he's summoned before the enemy king. We might picture a war general somehow finding himself behind enemy lines with nothing on him to defend himself. If he's recognized, it's game over. It's not hard to see why David feared for his life. And so the story goes on, and David pretends to be mad, and it worked. David wasn't recognized by the king. David was sent away unscathed, waved away as a madman. The thing that's interesting is if you were to read that story in 1 Samuel and then read this psalm David wrote in response, well, you might be surprised at what David's takeaways were. See, David doesn't congratulate himself for his ingenuity, as Psalm 34, isn't David giving himself a pat on the back? In fact, Psalm 34 is all about God. I don't know if you noticed that as you we were reading. As he reflects on his experience, David knows God is the one who delivered him. And so the credit just cannot go anywhere else. And David, as he reflects on his past deliverance, he cannot help but praise God's. He wants to boast in the gods who saved him. He wants to exalt God's name for his rescue. And just to be clear, by the end of the story, David is still on the run. He's still in exile, he's still in the thick of it. And yet it's at this point in the midst of affliction that David pens Psalm 34. It's in a period of intense suffering that David grabs us and says to us, let's exalt God's name together. Look at verse 7. Isolated, on the run, under constant threat, David writes, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. What a wonderful picture for God's king in exile. And for any Christian who ever feels isolated, the only Christian at the office Christmas Zoom party. What a wonderful picture of God encamping around us. We can go on fearing him, because although at times you may feel outcast, God is with those who fear him, guarding them. It will ultimately go well for you. And so what does the Lord Jesus, God's true king, say to us? Uh, before his brutal death, he was turned on by the crowds who followed him. He was betrayed by our friends. He was abandoned by those who should have been by his sides. He was mocked and humiliated publicly. And yet as God's king, he sets a perfect example. And as he sets this example, no matter what we are going through, he exhorts us. Let's boast in God's. So in the midst of suffering, as he reflects on what God has done for him, David says, join me. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And That brings us on to point two, uh, where David invites us again to reflect more on this great God he has delivered him and just how good it is to belong to this God. Uh, We're now uh, down in verses eight to 10. These verses start with an invitation, taste and see that the Lord is good. One of my all-time favorite shops is Costco. It's a great day out, and one of the best things about Costco is probably the free food samples that they hand out on the way around. It's a slightly silly illustration, but Costco are using similar tactics to David's here in verse eight. They want us to taste that their, I don't know, their mince pies are good, so that we buy more of them. And so David is giving us a sample. He's giving us a taste of what God is like so that we want to go all in for this God's as we reflect on what God has done for David. The God, he rescued David from the brink of death. He rescued him from a situation which, humanly speaking, the chance of survival was very low. We should taste and see that he is good. And notice, David's point isn't just, look at God, isn't he wonderful? David is also inviting us to see how good it is to be one of his people. Have a look at the second half of verse 8. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or similarly, the end of verse 9 of verse 10. Those who fear him have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David isn't just showing us how good God is. He's saying how good Good he is for ye. At this point, it really is worth addressing how these verses uh, can be gravely misunderstood. Um, we're thinking verse 9 and 10 in particular, um, that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Um, and a few others, um, verse 12, for example, what, is man, uh, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may seek goods? Uh, You see, some take these verses to be promising Christians material prosperity, um, as if fearing God is going to earn you lots of money such that you have all your heart's desires. Um, And to prove to us that just can't be what David means, and think about David's own situation as he's writing Psalm 34. Uh, David is on the run. Uh, David is in exile He's been pursued by the bloodthirsty king Saul. He's been away from his home for some time, and no hope of returning anytime soon. But it's at this very point that he writes verses nine and ten. Those who fear the Lord have no lack. Actually, I think what David has got in mind is the episode just before uh, his deliverance in Gath, also uh, one Samuel twenty-one. Uh, There David is starving, uh, but God provides him with just enough bread to keep going. So God is sustaining him, but it is just enough before his next trial. Uh, David is not tucking into a five-star meal between his scrapes with Saul. And so God does sustain his people, uh, but there is not a hint of luxury promised here. But actually, I think the amazing thing is that even so, David thinks it is a wonderful thing to be one of God's people. As David sits us down and teaches us, he wants us to think that too. If you're following along on the handout, we're about to move on to the third point. Um, with points three and four, we get the application in point three, followed by the motivation in point four and um, first we'll learn how David wants us to respond uh, then we'll consider why we should respond in this way so firstly listen to David who teaches us to fear God um, before we go any further let's just recap that Psalm 34 is David God's king teaching us fear of the Lord's That's what he's been doing up to this point in the psalm as he's shown us God's goodness. Uh, But this is the point uh, where the lesson really begins, where he sits us down to teach us. Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you fear of the Lord. You might be wondering, how does that help us? How does it help us thinking about um, this psalm, uh, that this is David teaching us and God's king teaching us? It might help to think about the difference between learning from a textbook and having a teacher who has actually got experience of putting that knowledge into practice. With David and ultimately the Lord Jesus as our teachers, isn't it comforting to know that they have walked this road before us? So God's king sits us down and teaches us what it looks like to fear God's Look at verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And I think the reason David gives us these explicit instructions in his psalm is because in the midst of affliction, when under pressure, These are the very things we're tempted not to do. We face the questions, can God be trusted? Will it really end well if I do the things he wants me to do? If I say plainly what the Bible says about gender, if I have to awkwardly distance myself from inappropriate banter again, if I don't hit back when I hear that passive-aggressive comment about Christians, We need to be taught by God's King. Think of our greater teacher, the Lord Jesus. We uh, looked here last week, um, but listen again to these words from 1 Peter. 1 Peter, by the way, heavily uses Psalm 34 in his letter. Listen to Peter's description of the Lord Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself, to him he judges justly. One great way actually to meditate on this psalm, um, this afternoon perhaps, would be to reflect on the Lord Jesus' obedience amidst unjust suffering. We might think how he stayed silent in his sham trial, how he didn't respond to false accusations, For comparison, we might find it helpful to reflect on how we would respond in his position. I think that will really help us appreciate the Lord Jesus as a teacher we have. Lastly, point four. um, We'll look at the final few verses, 15 to 22. Here our teacher will show us our gods and ultimately why we can have confidence in fearing him especially in adversity, where we might be tempted to muddle through on our own. Just listen to the comfort in these verses. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them as of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What a wonderful personal picture of God. When we cry to him in prayer, he hears us. He listens for our cry as a parent with their child. He is near to those who are suffering. When we go through hard times, David would remind us of our tender and compassionate gods. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He is not indifferent to our suffering. He's not far away in times of difficulty. He is listening out to us. He is there to be called upon. He's better than any friend who would travel the length of the country to help us in times of need. He is better than any spouse or parent. He's always there. He is completely for his people all the time. But it's not just that he cares. This isn't just sentimentalism. These verses remind us that God is powerful to deliver us. Like we were seeing back in verses 1 to 7. As Christians, we have this God. He powerfully saved David out of his troubles, out of the unlikeliest of situations. We have assurance that this God cares deeply for us. We have assurance that he will deliver us. And what a great comfort to hold on to in suffering. Really in this world of suffering, there is no greater place to be than as one of God's people. But we'll know, like David, and even more so like the Lord Jesus, belonging to God does not mean immunity from suffering, not in this life. We'll come back to that uh, briefly at the end. You may have noticed as I was reading those verses, um, I skipped over verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off memory of them from the earth. For those who are Christians, this reminds us of the privilege to be one of God's people. It's not a given. But if you are listening in and you're not yet a Christian, uh, the truth is it is this verse, that applies to ye. And let me just clear something up. That is not to say that Christians don't do evil. If you spend any time in the Psalms, that becomes very clear very quickly. And rather the righteous, as they are called here, are those who trust God's promises. The big division is between those who trust God's uh, and his promises and those who don't. It's not between those who do good and those who do evil. And so if you are not yet a Christian, I'm really glad you could join us. Um, And I hope this morning has shown you something of how good God is and how good it would be to be one of his people. Can I encourage you to think more about these things and consider whether or not they're true? One great way to do this would be to keep listening to what he has to say in his words. And there are carol services this month, and perhaps you could read the Bible with a Christian you know. But for those who are Christians, I hope these verses will be a great comfort for us. These are wonderful verses to meditate on, to reflect on God's wonderful character and his comfort for his people. I do wish you had more time this morning to dive into them, but to help us meditate on them later, here's a question to ponder on your own that you might find helpful. How is the God of verse 15 to 18 unlike me? How is he more compassionate, more loving than I ever could be? Being one of God's people gives great comfort in present suffering, but the whole point of God delivering his people is for something more final. As you've seen, God does not keep his people from suffering in this life. Often actually fearing him and doing what he wants will be the thing that leads to opposition and difficulty. It won't be easy. But he can be trusted. And I hope you've seen that this morning. Uh, we can put our confidence in him. Fearing him is the best option. There's comfort and deliverance now. And because of God's deliverance, the future is certain. David ends his psalm. uh, Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Uh, To finish, we see the great future hope of God's people. We will not be condemned. Our lives will finally be saved fully. And we look forward to a day when suffering will be no more. To go back to 1 Peter, uh, he puts it like this, and after you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, he has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let me pray as we close. Our Father, we thank you for David who wrote this psalm. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus who teaches us how to fear you even when it's hard and when we're under pressure. Help us, we pray, to learn from him, from his example and from what he teaches us about you. We praise you that you are our God who delivers his people we thank you that the future is certain for those who take refuge in you, that there is no condemnation. We thank you that you are near the brokenhearted, that you save the crushed in spirits. We ask that this would be a great comfort to us, that we would put our confidence in you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.